The life of an environmental history graduate student in Canada. A roundtable discussion with graduate students. And I speak with Will Knight, the New Scholars representative to the Network in Canadian History and Environment. I'm Sean Courage, and this is Episode 9 of Nature's Past, a podcast of the Network in Canadian History and Environment. After a brief summer hiatus, we return this month with an episode that focuses on graduate studies in environmental history in Canada. But before we begin this episode, I wanted to notify listeners about our new web address. Over the summer, the uh, Niche website migrated to its new home at niche-canada.org. That's n-i-c-h-e-canada.org. This means that you can now find the podcast and all of our past episodes at our new website at niche-canada.org slash nature's past. Last May, I attended the Canadian History and Environment Summer School in Ottawa, Ontario, where I met with several graduate students who study different aspects of environmental history from across the country. We had the opportunity to sit down and record a conversation with four of these graduate students at the meeting in Ottawa. So I'm joined now by uh, four graduate students from different universities uh, across Canada studying environmental history. Uh, We're joined by Dan Ruick from McGill University. Hello. Uh, Jess Van Horsen from the University of Western Ontario. Hello. And Jay Young from York University. Hi, Sean. And Jim Clifford, also from York University. Hello. All right. Welcome, everybody. So we're here to talk about uh, issues in uh, graduate studies in environmental history in Canada. So I thought maybe we'd begin uh, by going around the table and uh, finding out uh, what you study and how you came to uh, start your uh, research project on your particular topic. So maybe we'll start with Dan. All right. Well, I studied um, for my master's degree. I studied the origins of the grid land survey on the Canadian prairies and that got me interested in the relationship between land ownership and indigenous people and how land is appropriated, questions like that. And then for my PhD I decided to um, study land ownership and land use and indigenous people in Quebec. Okay, uh, I studied the town of Asbestos, Quebec, and uh, I came to this project having gone to Asbestos in 2002 on a historical geography project, and um, it's not a town you forget, and it made me wonder about the importance of place, because place seems obviously very important to these people, and um, so I thought it would be interesting to delve into that a bit. Uh, I study uh, the relationship between uh, the Toronto subway system and uh, urban identity and civic identity of the city of Toronto. And uh, I think I don't I don't think when I originally thought of the project, which I I conceived just on a personal level of how when I moved to Toronto, I found the the subway for myself kind of connected me to this to the city's landscape uh, and its its uh, social spaces. And I guess I came to environmental history through that project, and that I came to realize that in looking at space and looking at technology, uh, both the built and the, particularly the natural environment, uh, particular elements that I, I had to look at in my project. I studied the lower Lee Valley in the eastern suburbs of London, England. I came to the project first by studying the east end of London in the social and cultural history of my master's and realizing that I, I wanted to bring in environmental history uh, during the first year of my PhD and also realizing that there was a 
fairly significant river that flows through the uh, eastern suburbs of England, so it became an obvious project to build on. This is a good place to start then. Uh, we've all spent the past weekend at St. Paul University in Ottawa for the Canadian History and Environment Summer School for 2009, and we're now at Carleton University in the midst of the Canadian Historical Association annual meeting. Uh, and it's one of these moments where we can reflect on uh, what graduate students do and what you learn in graduate school. So I wanted to ask you, uh, as graduate students who study aspects of environmental history, what skills do you feel you've acquired in your graduate studies by taking this approach to studying the past? Anyone can pick up on that. Sure. Well, I guess I'll, I'll start that uh, with the research I've done so far, looking at uh, the interaction between uh, people's opinions of, of the technology of the subway and also a ravine that runs through Toronto that the subway was eventually un built under. Uh, just, uh, I guess, going, trying, trying to, the research of trying to understand public opinion and people's personal opinions of environmental issues and, and particular spaces of meaning and how uh, you can get at those um, personal uh meanings of the past through, you know, d particular types of documents that might be found in the archives. But then I think also, at least with my project, I think environmental history is interesting in that dealing with the natural environment, you can sometimes walk in these spaces. And for me, living near the ravine that I'm studying, that I, that I studied, uh, you know, there's that, uh, that material element that you can you can be in these spaces you're studying, which I think for maybe some other subdisciplines of, of history is might be a little more difficult. So I think that's a really rewarding element, but, but also a great skill for environmental historians to be in the space that you study. Has everybody else walked in the place that they yep. studied? Yes. Has it been useful? Have you found a It's connection? awesome. Yeah. It's a, that's a really good point. It, and it, you can't, there's only so much you can get from reading just the text, I right. find, when you're getting to know a, a people in a place. And, and just being there, is, you really get a sense of something different. Uh, very definitely in East London, and especially in West Ham, which is the suburb I focus on, you can see the scars on the landscape that the industrial history has left. It's, it's mostly uh, brown fields now, but uh, it, it hasn't been cleaned up, although that process is underway. And so wandering through these, these spaces, uh, you can see the, the effects of the history that, that I study, and I, I presume it's the same for a lot of you. Is there a unique approach to documents, approaching documents from an environmental history perspective that you find is different or challenging in any way? Well, I do find that, just to follow up on our discussion of going to the places that we study, I think that for environmental historians it's important to augment their study of texts with uh, actual visit visiting of places. And uh, I think what another thing that environmental historians can bring is a unique approach in the sense of um, studying, focusing more on space than just on time. And this is something that geographers do generally do better than historians. Um, and one of the tools that environmental historians are using more and more is the GIS, uh, the Geographical Information uh, System software that helps to show environmental relationships in space and over time as well. Right, has anybody had to learn GIS in the course of their graduate studies or to become familiar with it? We're looking at Jim here. Uh, I've also, like Dan, found GIS to be a really useful tool, though one that took quite some time to teach myself because I, I don't come from a geography background. Um, but the ability to go through very detailed maps that have been scanned in uh, and maps I have a series of over time and see the, the change in the landscape. It, it's a very useful way to, 
that answer not only environmental questions, but also social and, and political and cultural questions. And I think it's allowed me to come at some of those more traditional social history issues from a new light uh, in the realization that this really degraded environment was significant in, in the social and political development of East London. Yeah, I, I agree. And although I haven't used GIS so much in my work, I find that with environmental history, you tend to use a wide range of information from other disciplines right. as well. And that's one of the unique advantages that I found. It's, it's also a challenge because some of us don't have scientific or geological backgrounds and the mm -hmm. texts that we read are are pretty heavy and self taught you have to self teach yourself how to incorporate this language. But it's like uh, J.R. McNeil's drunk in the lamppost analogy where other streams of history, not all of them but others, are just single focused in this one little patch. But then when you turn on all the lights from other disciplines you get to see a much wider perspective. Right. So how much have you had to read about asbestosis over the past couple of years? You would be amazed what I know about the human body. <laughs> <laughs> So I think in a sense we can agree there are some skills common uh, um, across uh, sub-disciplines of history, but some that are perhaps unique uh, when you study environmental history. So it brings us uh, to another question about uh, challenges or obstacles or difficulties to studying environmental history in Canada. Have either of you or any of you encountered particular challenges or uh, obstacles that you maybe feel are unique to studying environmental history in Canada? I found that with the, even with just the different types of disciplines that you're exposed to, um, that's a challenge unto itself, but for me, well, and for Canadian history in general, a lot of your texts are in more than one language, and so right. you not only have to learn a new a discipline's language, um, but you can ha also have to learn it in another language as well. Um, for me, it's French, but I know, Dan, do you have multiple languages as well in your work that you study? Yeah, well, I haven't, I, I, I do work on uh, indigenous history, but uh, I haven't learned very much Mohawk for the study that I'm doing. But yes, French and English are important languages to know for, for many Canadian historians, not just environmental historians. I think one other difficulty that Niche has helped us to overcome is uh, distance in Canada. And maybe some of you uh, want to comment on that. Well, certainly, uh, you know, the, the chesses that have been held, uh, the first one in Toronto, but I was attended the third one in Vancouver, and, you know, it, it certainly allowed, you know, I guess one thing about being an environmental historian in Canada in terms of distance is it's a massive country, mm -hmm. and, and to, to store to study it, and it, you know, it, and once again, going back to, I guess, the idea of place and wanting to experience these places in person takes, a, I guess, a high amount of airplane uh, money or, or training come to travel to these places, and I guess uh, in terms of one's distance to uh, at least experiencing these places. Uh, Nisha certainly helped with that with, with the, the summer school and of course the one in Ottawa was also excellent as well. Mm -hmm. I mean we have a panel here of uh, graduate students from Central Canada primarily uh, but you do get to engage with students studying different regions of the country and studying in different regions of the country through events like chess yeah. and also at the CHA as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, what about working with documents uh, as an environmental historian? Is it easy to find the sources that you're looking for uh, to answer questions about nature when the sources are invariably produced by people? I always take silence as a <laughs> great question. <laughs> there, there's definitely challenges. Uh, we, we had to rethink how we're going to approach uh, sometimes the same sources that in the case of uh, London, England, social historians have been digging through for decades now. 
mm-hmm. but it, I've also you know found the need to go and find new sources. I, I read a lot of engineer reports that, uh, based on the amount of dust that's collected in the uh, archival boxes, I, I can presume I'm, I'm probably the only one who's found this to be a useful tool for the social and environmental history of, of the space. Um, so I, I think there, there's a lot of people that we can follow, uh, some great environmental historians, especially in the United States, but uh, more and more that are, are coming through and getting jobs in Canada. Uh, I think our generation maybe has it a little bit easier than the people who came before us, that we have this, this really strong literature. Mm-hmm. You can see the many different kinds of sources people have used to study similar spaces in, in, in other parts of North America or, or in the world. I guess, I guess adding on that idea of the literature is that I think that's one of the challenges, yet the greatest strengths of environmental history right now, and that it is such a growing field that I guess the challenge is trying to stay on top of the literature, but at the same time, uh, you know, it's, it's wonderful that it is such a growing uh, field where there is all this literature being produced. One thing that I've found working with primary sources as an environmental historian is that there's a real challenge especially a lot of government documents that I work with, were obviously written for purposes that are different from the purpose that I'm using them for. So um, the government official was writing about environmental subjects, but wasn't, didn't have the same interest that I do. So when I read um, a government official writing about an environmental subject, I think it's a difficulty to try to um, sort out where their bias comes in, where my bias comes in, if I'm reading too much into it. And also to recognize that there are many silences, that there are many environmental topics that uh, officials and corporate uh, officials didn't write about because it didn't interest them, because it didn't right. wasn't a source of profit or any number of reasons. Is anyone using sources that are more traditional sources that other historians have used, uh, but uh, approaching them from an environmental history approach allows you to read these documents in a different way? Well, the city of Toronto has, uh, luckily, lots of aerial photographs. And I think in, in changing uh, change over time, uh, and obviously computer software has helped with that as well. Uh, you know, I, I, I instead of, I guess, sort of just showing an aerial photograph as just a, dis- just a pure descriptive uh, t- uh, document in one time, I guess, being able to look at it, the changes through time uh, is, is certainly, I think, maybe a new approach be- through environmental history and showing how the natural world also interacts with the built environment, even in an urban environment, for example, mm-hmm. that's heavily documented, particularly in the post-war era. Now, you are all a past comps at this point yeah. uh, in your graduate studies. Uh, what were your experiences in coursework and comprehensive exams? How much exposure did you have to environmental history literature through the course offerings that, uh, in your particular graduate programs? I was unfortunate enough to arrive in a year where environmental history was not offered. Uh, Richard Hoffman often offers an environmental history right. class, which I, I hear is, is excellent at York University. Um, but I, I missed that due to sabbatical. So I took a, a course in the history of science, medicine, social science, and the environment. And it was definitely only and the environment. We read three books at the very end of the year. So mm-hmm. it, it was a, a sort of self self-taught process, but uh, despite the fact environmental history is expanding, it, it, it's still a li- little bit easier to get a grasp on than, than something like Canadian history or British history, um, and it's, it was not too difficult to identify those, those really core 50 books that you very definitely need to have read to, to begin environmental history uh, 
dissertation. Jim is a segue master here. <laughs> uh, points us right to the next question I had for you. Uh, was there a particular book that drew you into the field of environmental history um, that sparked your interest? I'm probably not the first one to say Nature's Metropolis by uh, William Cronin. Still mine, Jay. Yeah, <laughs> good. No. Um, uh, particularly, obviously, when you're looking at urban environments and the intersection of, of technology with uh, various elements uh, of the natural world, uh, it's a wonderful book and you know a great way of thinking of the city and, in particular, uh, flows, commodity flows, flows of natural resources, and, and not only why the city exists as a as a market, but also you know the actual city is built by mat natural uh, materials. So I think you know it's it's obviously it's certainly not the only one to have been influenced by that book. Um, um, I know that my experience was similar to Jim, as Jim's as far as coursework went, that I didn't arrive at a time where there were being courses offered, but uh, I did my master's with Chad Gaffield at Ottawa U, and he he knew I was sort of interested in how people I made identities through the environment and things, and he's like, oh, by the way, have you seen my book and um, <laughs> about Consuming Canada, which is a collection of essays by environmental historians about Canadian environmental history, and today, I guess, we have an sort of a new or slightly different version of that with Method and Meaning, which uh, uh, was just released last year. And so it's very similar, uh, and it's geared towards graduate students looking to be introduced to the field. And I find those just really helpful, because from there, you're looking at the footnotes and stuff, it's like, who is this Bill Cronin guy? And, <laughs> and for someone starting out, I find that found that that was really helpful. To just repeat what everyone else has said, when I started as a graduate student, there also weren't any environmental history courses offered at McGill, and they're still fairly infrequent. Um, but luckily enough, I was able to encounter Colin Duncan early on in my uh, master's program. And he, I was able to do a directed reading with him, and one of the early books that he directed me to was uh, History of the Countryside by Oliver Rackham, which is a history of the English countryside, and he talks about a lot about trees and bushes and other uh, plants, really. It's a really a history of plants in many ways. And uh, it was a, an eye-opener for me to see how something like a war um, could affect the growth of a hedge in history. So, Jim, was there a particular book that brought you into the field? I actually started reading environmental literature outside of history. I, so probably the, the, the number one book would be uh, Aldo Leopold's The Sand, Sand County Almanac. And it interested me so much that I started seeking out people that had written secondary literature about it. And uh, it was really sort of well into the first year of my PhD when I, I finally uh, found Richard White and Bill Cronin and, and the classics. And that you know, allowed me to take that uh, interest in the environment that I developed uh, in a year out of graduate school by mm -hmm. reading the, the classic environmental or literature and, and to bring it into that historical framework and, and a more complex level of analysis and, and it made me really realize at that point that I, I wanted to become an environmental historian as opposed to a you know, social urban historian. So, so I framed this uh, question about what what can niche do to better serve the interests of graduate students? But I think we can maybe think about this more broadly, about what kind of tools or uh, uh, modes of assistance could assist graduate students in, in furthering their studies uh, that you might be able to think of. I think niche is pretty geared towards 
helping graduate students. That's something that's always struck me about Niche is that grad students are their first priority, it seems, which we can see with the chess events and things like that. I was wondering about having a job bank on the Niche website, not just with academic jobs or maybe postdoc postings, but also mm. other kind of jobs that we can use our skills as environmental historians in, such as with the government or any NGOs or things like that. I thought that might be cool. It's a pretty good idea. There was some discussion about Environment Canada's internship program. Mm -hmm, that I wish I had known five years ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a great uh, form of information dissemination in many form, many ways. And I guess uh, um, I'm, I'm looking, thinking back to a, a workshop that was held last year on GIS in Toronto that Niche helped fund. And I think that model would be not only for GIS but for other uh, challenges or other tools that can be used for environmental history. Uh, it was, you know, it was essentially people that could drive to the Toronto area, and uh, you know, I, I think using it for not only GIS but other other uh, elements of environmental history throughout different, you know, different regional areas of Canada could be useful. One thing that I think Niche is doing well in environmental history is uh, including graduate students from other disciplines, and I think Niche can do even better. Uh, you can see you can see it from the chess events now that yeah. there are people from environmental studies, there are people from anthropology, there are people from geography, and uh, I think that's going to be important for the future of Niche to not be pigeonholed into into history departments only. I guess it would, it would be, and this is something we talked a lot about this weekend. But it would be nice to, to find ways for Niche to help people uh, get their their research out in the new media formats. Um, the, the website seems to have gone through a lot of transition even in the past year, and so I hope to see that that continues and maybe they can they can hold some workshops uh, to help us think through the way we could bring our GIS projects onto the website or, or bring uh, photographs and, and other uh, visual images mm -hmm. and the other forms of new media into the web uh, I think this is going to be an important uh, element of publishing in the future uh, as more and more of it might move on to the web. Now, aside from being avid listeners of the podcast, which I know you all are, uh, what are the, the resources that Niche provides uh, or other uh, environmental history groups like uh, ASCH or H Environment? Uh, what, are, what sources do you, do you use the most? I use the people the most. Just as far as niche events, the interaction that you get with students, as Dan said, coming from all different fields and professors as well, it, it has really helped sh me shape how I look at my topic. And mm -hmm. you know, someone here said, "Oh, that would be interesting to look at it from this perspective," or "Oh, what about this?" And you just get so much exposed to these ideas that you're just sort of brimming with them, and it's it's it makes my own project a lot more exciting to me. I find. Um, so networking tools. Yeah. yeah, but I... Oh, networking's such a dirty word. <laughs> <laughs> I think Niche has been great uh, for myself as one of the few non-Canadianists to just give me a window into Canadian historiography in general. I read a great paper by Stéphane Cast Castanier on the uh, liberal order framework. Uh, I've been hearing that term for, for years now by other York uh, graduate students, but it, it's been a real interesting... Uh, time to allow me to think more about Canadian history because since entering graduate school you don't have the time to engage in all the different literatures out there and, and I found myself completely disconnected from Canadian historiography despite living in the countries. 
I can maybe give a very sim simple answer, which is just simply the, the website as a as an information dissemination tool, finding out about workshops, conferences, uh, putting out calls for papers. Uh, I think it's been an excellent resource, even for something as simple as that. Well, as representatives of Canadian environmental historians or environmental historians studying in Canada, any final words and final thoughts? Let's wrap it up Thank there. Thank you, then. Sean, for your wonderful <laughs> podcast work. <laughs> yes, we know we'll be famous now. Yeah. Yes, yes. Be prepared for great fame. I want to thank everybody. Thank you, Jess. Thank you. thank you, Dan. Thank you, Jim. And thank you, Jay. Thank you. Uh, and thank you, everybody, for listening. If you're a graduate student studying environmental history in Canada, then you may have already heard about Niche's New Scholars Group. The New Scholars in Canadian History and Environment group represents graduate students and recent graduates who study environmental history in Canada. You can read all about the activities of this group and try out some of their services on their website at niche-canada.org new-scholars. These services include a basic reading list in North American environmental history, an index of completed theses and dissertations, and a brand new online reading group. The online reading group has just launched, and I'd encourage listeners to check it out. It's a great way to connect with other graduate students studying uh, environmental history across the country and to share your work with each other. Will Knight, the Niche New Scholars representative, joined me recently to discuss his ideas for New Scholars projects for the coming year. My name is Will Knight. I'm a first-year Canadian history PhD student at Carleton University, and I'm the New Scholars representative on the Niche Advisory Committee. So, Will, why don't we start out by uh, at introducing who you are uh, to the community. What's uh, your research? What's your dissertation topic? Sure. Um, uh, maybe I'll just wind back and, and tell you a bit about my, uh, coming out of my MA, uh, which I did at Trent University with Stephen Bocking. Um, I did a, a thesis on fisheries administration in Ontario in the 19th century. So it was a bit of state formation, a bit of environmental history. And um, coming into the PhD program, it's been uh, two years since I finished my MA. So I've had two years off and uh, now entering the PhD program. My interests and focus have shifted to natural history museums at this point. I'm really interested in, in, um, in uh, practices of collecting and display especially display. I'm, I'm um, a bit of a, a fan of habitat dioramas. I've got a, <laughs> a long-standing interest in, in that that stems from, from uh, childhood exposure to the Canadian Nature Museum here in Ottawa, where I grew up. Uh, excellent. And uh, so what have you been up to lately in terms of research or conferences? Well, um, I'm just back from Iceland. I, I returned uh, three days ago from... Um, a niche-sponsored trip there to the Svartakot Culture and History or Culture and Nature Program mm -hmm. that was uh, run in the north of Iceland with uh, uh, at this spectacular sort of hostel in uh, remote northern valley. And that was an amazing experience. Uh, Alan McEachran, Stefan Castengay um, from Niche and uh, a number of graduate students from Canada as well as some people from the U.S. and uh, and Australia, and Donald Worcester was there with us as well. So there was a, a you know a group of about twelve of us, and those were days spent uh, inside around the seminar table talking about issues of Icelandic history, agricultural history, 
world environmental history, and um, with some amazing tours of local local uh, sites, being exposed to Icelandic culture um, and uh, archae- archaeological sites. Uh, we went whale watching, so that's a nice environmental uh, yeah. uh, thing to do. Um, so it was just it was a spectacular opportunity to sort of get isolated away from it all, mm-hmm. um, but be in one place for an extended period of time and um, and think and discuss and and meet. So that's uh, that's still fresh in my mind and. Uh, um, I'm really, uh, really qu- was quite excited with, with that, uh, with that opportunity. And you were, you were at the chess event in Ottawa, obviously. So you've had a full summer of uh, environmental history I, conferences. I, and I, I certainly have. Yeah, chess was chess was another was uh, that was my first time at chess, and that was a great introduction to uh, to niche to you know the the community of scholars that it that it makes up. And uh, and to socialize and, and meet with other environmental historians and with graduate students. So you're now uh, taking on the role of the uh, representative for the New Scholars in Canadian History and Environment uh, group uh, for Niche, which is a group for graduate students and recent graduates uh, who mm-hmm. study environmental history in Canada. This is a special episode on graduate studies in environmental history. I thought maybe you could speak a little bit about what uh, graduate students uh, can get out of being involved in the New Scholars Group. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I'm, I, first of all, I'd say I think Niche is uh, a, a great place for, for New Scholars to, uh, to gather. Um, uh, my first exposure to Niche was a couple of years ago. I, I, I was at Chess, but uh, previous to that, I'd, I'd been... I'd taken part in the UBC field trip, Fraser River field trip, mm-hmm. and that was during uh, after the first year of my MA, and that was the first time I'd really met a group of environmental historians and been with them for an extended period of time, and it was an amazing discovery of a community that uh, welcomed me, that I felt comfortable in. And um, so that was, for me, that's what Niche is about. And I think the New Scholars uh, Group is a great way to sort of encourage participation um, by uh, graduate students and to um, engage in the community that's, that's really, I think, starting to flourish in Canada. I agree. Um... What projects uh, will the New Scholars Group be pursuing this year? Uh, what sort of things might people be able to find out, uh, activities the New Scholars Group is doing? Sure. Well, we, I think we've got um, big boots to fill, Sean. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not promising any, like, TV shows or, uh, or I mean, you've got, uh, you've got the, the new media stuff well in hand. And, I mean, I, I think it's great what, uh, what you and the others have, have done. At this point, I don't have any big ideas. Uh, I mean, the first order for me is to uh, talk with the rest of the committee, get to know them, and start to brainstorm about where we can, we can make our contribution to, uh, to the New Scholars Group and to Niche. Um, certainly, I can see... Um, uh, you know, carrying on and extending the projects that uh, previous committees have have implemented and initiated, um, particularly the dissertation and theses list. I think that's somewhere we we, we can really uh, you know fill that out, 
so that people can know what you know what uh, what the new scholars have been up to in in, uh, in their previous degrees, what their interests are, and uh, sort of uh, along the lines of um, environmental history bibliotheque, but for Canadian new scholars. So that's uh, I think that's one thing we can do. But yeah, I'm really excited about. Um, about getting down to work with the rest of the committee and and uh, and brainstorming. Well, that's excellent. So, uh, listeners who are interested in finding out more about New Scholars can visit the New Scholars page at uh, nichee.uwo.ca/new-scholars, and that's where that uh, dissertation and theses list is, as well as a number of other resources, uh, including or the comprehensive exams reading list, a uh, conference roommate uh, matching and carpool uh, matching system, uh, as well as other student resources, uh, all on that website. And they can also find uh, Will's contact information there if you want to get in touch with him uh, with ideas uh, for a project or uh, other ways in which uh, the New Scholars group may be able to assist uh, graduate students and recent graduates who are studying environmental history in Canada. Will, I want to thank you for joining us today on the podcast. Thanks very much, Sean. Good to talk to you. Nature's Past is produced with support from the Network in Canadian History and Environment. This episode was made by Dan Ruick, Jess Van Horsen, Jay Young, Jim Clifford, Will Knight, and me, Sean Courage. Music for Nature's Past was licensed by Creative Commons. For details on the artists, please take a look at our show notes at niche-canada.org slash naturespast, where you can also download new episodes, subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, and leave us comments. And please let us know what you think about the podcast. Leave us a review on our iTunes page. If you have any ideas for new episodes or you want to send me some feedback, you can contact me through my website at seancourage.wordpress.com. You can always get the latest information on events in the environmental history community from the Niche website at niche-canada.org. Or you can follow Niche on Twitter at twitter.com slash niche underscore Canada. Thanks for listening and be sure to download our next episode.